This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Alcohol Experiment, a free 30-day challenge designed to interrupt your patterns, give you control, restore your health, and put you back in touch with the version of you who doesn't need alcohol to cope, relax, or enjoy life. More than 220,000 people have already tried The Alcohol Experiment for themselves and have seen improved sleep, increased happiness, reduced anxiety, and so much more. Join thousands in this inspiring, hopeful, and exciting program where you examine your beliefs and reconnect with the best version of you without ever feeling like you're missing out. Start today for free at alcoholexperiment.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I'm here with Sam. Hi, Sam. How are you? Hey, Annie. I am. I'm great. And it is a, it's such a pleasure to be here doing this. So thanks for inviting me on. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. So why don't you sort of take us back to the beginning for you with alcohol? Where, where did it all start? Yeah, that's a that's a big question. I often so when I'm talking about this, I often start at what seems like a weird point, but it's the first time I I decided to take a month off of drinking. I was uh, 25, and the reason that makes sense to me, as the starting point, is that I think anyone who takes uh, decides to do that, they're either consciously or subconsciously saying to themselves that their relationship with alcohol isn't working. Yeah. And up until that point, I just I'd never questioned it. Like things had got pretty messy um quite dark at times but it had never I don't know it had never occurred to me until that point so like that seems like the beginning of freedom um but like the beginning beginning is is you know I grew up in the UK I had uh, a pretty in some ways like a very normal kind of relationship with with booze it was like binge drinking culture you know from for my generation really normal I think the first time I got drunk I was 12 um I can remember like hanging outside the local shop and waiting for some guy to buy us a bottle of white lightning. <laughs> um, lovely. Right. And uh, I don't think I got drunk, but that was the first time that I drank. Um, mm-hmm. And then it just became this thing. It became like the elixir of life. It was just normal. Um, alcohol was, was a thing in my house. My mum and dad uh, drank never like crazy amounts, but they both met in the brewing trade. So like the culture of alcohol around real beer was a thing. And uh, me and my dad bonded over it. And from really young, me and my pals were like sneaking like spirits or liquor US wise, right from the from cabinets and like making horrible cocktails. And it was just what we did. And it we just crept in without me noticing. Um, and like at that time, I didn't really, I didn't join the dots on this for a long time, but uh, I had quite heavy OCD and I didn't really get drinking in the same way my pals did. Like I got the sigh from my mind, like it shut my mind up and, and it was the only tool I had to, to cope with like these, like com- these compulsive thoughts, but I didn't get the kind of my, my mates would be drinking until like three or four in the morning. I'd be like either throwing up, passed out or like eating seven or eight burgers and just like wanting out, right? Way earlier. And I just, I didn't get it until, um, until uni. And uni, it got mixed up with the rave scene and recreational drugs. And suddenly I was just drinking a huge amount more because I was like up all night and I was staying up until the early hours. And it just, just became an everyday thing. I never even noticed Um I, I think I remembered sitting there about five years into uni and, and just thinking to myself one day, 
shit like you haven't not had a drink or been high or been on something for like for five years man it, it was just I don't know it didn't stop me or anything but I can remember thinking to myself like this is mad like it's it's just so normal it's just what you do mm-hmm. um but you know I, I got my degree I got postgrads I never missed a day of work I you know none of that stuff so in my mind it was I don't think it ever occurred to me that this was like a developing into an issue or a problem um and yeah I went traveling I went to uh so when I was like 23 I went and uh did the the whole cliche thing I went off to Australia and Southeast Asia and had this amazing time and I had loads of anxiety and I just drank my way through it and uh yeah I, I lived in youth hostels I was I didn't it was just what everyone was doing it was just the norm I, again I didn't have any reason to question it but I did start to have these kinds of, I had a bit of a spiritual thing going on at that point. So when I was like 18, I read The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And uh, yeah, it blew the doors open for me. And it was, it's incredible. Yeah, incredible. And, you know, that was the beginning of that journey. And so through that time, I had some really deep experiences. And that part of me was opening and growing. So I was like getting, I was trying to find myself, but losing myself just on repeat. And uh, I was, I had a meditation practice that was slowly building, but, you know, meditating on a hangover sucks. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Um, and uh, yeah, I kind of just got lost in that. I was just sort of in that yo-yo um, and I crash banged into Poland. And that's kind of when I first started and said, uh, having a month off of booze, that's where that really started. I was about 25. I just had this thought, like, I just need a break. I, I just need a few weeks off. I, I can't do this any longer. It's, I just teaching, I was, so I was teaching English TEFL, which is a really massive booze culture. Um, and it, it, I was just a, a mess. Like the beer fear on a Monday morning was just wrecking my brain. I just, yeah. I just it was just horrible. So when I had that month off and I felt really good and, you know, I fell straight back in at the end of the month, um, it kind of came and I felt like this cloud lifted and I was like, oh, there is another way. And then I fell straight back in. But then that kind of, um, as my responsibilities at work picked up, so I, I started uh, being a senior teacher and training teachers. And in, in the end, I became assistant director of the school a couple of years later. I had like 22 teachers that were relying on me um, professionally and emotionally. and you know, the pressure picked up and I was speaking in front of crowds of people. I was doing things that I'd never done before, things that I loved and that I felt called to do, but I was going home every night and I was drinking my way through it. Um, and in a strange way, I've, I, I find it hard to language. I, I kind of liked the fact that it was my friend at that. It felt like a, I was yeah. leaning on it. But, but it got really sinister because all these weird things started happening. So I'd be like speed walking home from work, like literally speed walking home from work so I could get home and crack open the beers. Or like I used to hide. So my, my partner at the time, she moved to Italy and we used to talk on a Monday or a Tuesday night. I used to hide a can of beer in the corner of the room. And then every like 20 minutes or so, I'd like feign I needed to go go to the loo and I'd go and have a glug of the beer and then I'd come back because logically in my head, it was just easier that way. It's just like, she wouldn't get it. Like, there's no point in me explaining why I'd be drinking on a Monday night. It was just logical. I just, it was just way easier for me just to not have the conversation. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
it seems really odd to me that those things seemed logical now <laughs> when I look back at them. Um, you know, I used to buy beers on the way home from work, have a friend with me, go back and drink them all. And then, uh, you know, I'd buy enough alcohol for the week. And then the next night there wouldn't be any left. And I'd like pretend I'd left something at work so I could let my friend walk ahead and then I could nip back into the shop. Cause basically I had this internal world that was totally consumed with alcohol. It had moved in, taken over. It was calling the shots. I had no power over it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it just got really slippery really quickly. And I ended up in this on off pattern of drinking where I'd have like a month off or two months off. And I was reading, um, I'd, I'd found Holly Whitaker's blog, Hip Sobriety. It like punched me in the face one night. And I just read it and I was like, holy shit. Like, like this is like been, it's like I wrote this stuff. Mm -hmm. I found your book and it came out and, and these things were, they were settling in. Um, but I was still in this, the only way I could get out the on phase was I'd hit this kind of like weird self-destruct where I was like, I'm going to make this so bad that the only choice I have is to stop. Yeah. And I would end up in this like month of hell and I would get spat out the other end on a Sunday. And uh, like, it was like power, but like anxiety, I could like feel it flowing through my vein. And it was like the crazy, it was like, I don't know. I'd never felt anything like it before. And I'd be like, I have to stop. So I was yo-yoing, right? And then I, but I'd have these like six months where everything was amazing, where I'd be getting a yoga practice or, uh, and then I'd swing back and the, the cognitive dissonance was just wild. Like I was just here and there. And, and in the end, I was just like, I have to do something to um, try and scratch this record. So I decided to do a year. And I basically thought to myself, right, I'm going to pick an amount of time that I know I can do. that seems challenging, but I'm going to get, you know, everything in the social calendar ticked off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that year turned into 19 months um, and it was unbelievable. I spent six months back, backpacking around India. I trained to be a yoga teacher. I like cried on the side of mountains. I went to Spain. Like it was insane. And in so many ways, I was literally making the world bigger. I was visiting more places, but there were these like rooms that I'd locked. There was the like social anxiety room, the OCD room, the, the like romantic relationship room, not having a tribe. I'd kind of transplanted a lot of my drinking life and just taken the alcohol out, just thought, oh, that will fix it. And yeah, it was really strange because I had that experience and, you know, there's not much alcohol in India, it, you know, or there, you know, it's, it's growing, but there wasn't a lot and um yeah that was an amazing thing to experience but I crash banged in the UK 18 months later and uh, I ended up in a situation where I was I met someone I didn't know how to interact I was in situations where I felt really uncomfortable and suddenly alcohol made sense which was really weird to me and I, I drank and for those it was such a strange experience because for those four or five months they weren't the worst like on paper but the knowledge of like how it had been and how it was it was it was horrible and um that data point that five months of data though like I'm kind of I'm very grateful now because I see it really you know I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing now if it hadn't been for that it taught me that connection is so damn important it taught me that you know a community is a community a community of people that really get you 
and I started blogging. I started being authentic. And I don't know why for me on my journey, that was really important. I, I literally told my story to my parents through that blog. I told my brother, I told my friends, people, I hadn't found the words for it. I didn't know how to tell them. And thing, people would say things like, oh, you weren't that bad because I was hiding it. And then you're like, I didn't want to feel like I was trying to fight to prove my truth. I was like, this is like, so I wrote basically. And then that kind of like started having this amazing cathartic thing and everything's that, and I've never looked back from then. Like the words reached out to people, people started reaching out to me. Um, I, I don't know, it just fell out of me and I just started healing. Um, and yeah, from the back of that, like that was unaddicted. It was my original thing. And I got on Instagram and I, and I really liked doing that. And that has grown into sober rebellion and everything that I do now, because the, the biggest thing that I've seen through this journey is like having all these things that we use as coping strategies or things to numb us. And the stories we have about like what's badass out there. I'm like, no, the most badass thing you can do is like feel your whole life, like in all its glory, like, that's badass being there for yourself being there for your loved ones there's nothing cooler than that nothing more subversive and um yeah i think that identity once you see that once you have that identity the willpower thing it just vanishes it's like well why would i need that <laughs> um so yeah i uh i don't know it's funny like when i talk about my my story now because it's uh, it's six years now that i've been alcohol free um that's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I'm so grateful that things got as bad as they did because <laughs> uh, that's, it's led to how things are now. I love that. And I, I want to back up and talk about that idea of, you know, because I, I really relate to this and I haven't really been able to put it into words, but that point of, okay, I'm not able to change this. So I'm almost going to punish myself by making it worse first. Mm. Or if I, like how I was able to put it in words is like, if I can only make myself see how far I've fallen, but I think there's even a, a more of an element of, okay, let's, if I have to fall further before I change, let's hurry up and do it. And so how can I almost facilitate falling for Like, yeah, talk to me about yeah. that. It's so that, interesting. That's exactly it, Annie. And you know what? I've, I've struggled so hard to find words for this because I, it's almost a little bit like I would, something switched. And I know now reflecting on it, that that switch was like a, it wasn't a, it wasn't a good thing. There's something quite dark and weird about it. But at the time it felt like this, I don't know, like I was just giving into it. And I, like, I was going back and getting my cans of lager and all the rest of it on the way home. And I was like, oh yeah, it's okay, alcohol, I've got my friend here. And at the same time, then, then I'd get stuck in this pattern. There was no one there. I didn't know how, know how to get out. So I, exactly that, I would just be like, the only way I know how to get out of this is that I get to a point where it's so horrible that I, that's the only choice I have. And I can remember lying, in, <laughs> remember sitting on the loo with my head against the, the washing machine in front of me at one point. And I just could feel all of it. And I wrote a blog post about this, about staring at myself in the mirror, bloodshot eyes, looking and just for the first time realizing that, oh shit, the voice I need to listen to, it's not the loudest one. 
mm. like the voice that's going to cut through this darkness and and start this the wisdom was was seeping through the cracks i find that so amazing that in the middle of all of that the real me was like here i am mm. which is wild I don't know. I can't language it any. I don't think I've done a very good job of it. Again, I've tr- there's some kind of feeling that was happening at the time, which I find it almost impossible to talk about. All I know is that there was an outcome and it, what it looked like from the outside looking in was exactly what you said. Like, I'm going to speed up my descent so that I hit the ground so hard that hopefully the next bounce will catapult me far enough that I never have to come back into this shitstorm again. All right, so I want to give it a try because a lot of what you said really resonated with me as well. And when you were talking, I was thinking, okay, well, it's almost as if there, and, and we already know that there's two voices existing inside of our one mind, right? And we, we give them, and we can hear both of those voices. They're the ones that say, you know, gosh, almost judging ourselves for, for doing it. Like, gosh, you shouldn't have done that. Like, what are you doing? Or, you know, don't you care about anybody? Don't, you're going to die what are you doing and like getting really upset with ourselves and then the other voice that's saying well I need this how else am I going to survive this life how else am I going to navigate this how you know this you don't understand like if I don't do this who am I even like this this drinking is my identity this is who I am like how take this away and by the way I've tried it before and it's been absolutely miserable and I'm never successful anyway so so we both we have this argument so we already know we have this argument going on but then it's almost as if the argument escalates in a way that is more maybe emotional instead of verbal. Mm. And it's part of ourselves crying out to say, okay, like save me. How, how, like, we know that there's a survival mechanism in our brains, right? We know that at some level we will save ourselves. Yeah. And somehow turning up the gas or turning on the speed of our descent, like going further into it is begging for the survival mechanism to kick in. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the whole way through, I say this to people all the time that the whole way through, there was always a piece of me. I've always known, even in my darkest moments that I'm okay. Mm -hmm. And it's like this voice like TNM and the, and the work that I've done spirituality recently and, and how I understand how human experience works now. I see the, that our perception and our story and our feelings are strapped together, mm-hmm. the two sides of the same coin. But there's a piece of us that's before that mm. formless bit of us, who we really are. And that's that, as I see it, that's the bit. And it was the only thing I guess I had available to like, to get myself back there. Um, until I didn't, until I had something else like it, it's yeah, but it's, um, it's really interesting to reflect on that. Yeah. I think for me, I mean, I have journal entries that literally would say things like, uh, yeah, like the knowing that at some point I would save myself, like just this definitive knowing on even a part of my brain that maybe I couldn't hear it in words, but there was part of me that always knew that this would end at some point, that I would, something would change 
And then this other part of me being, you know, sick and crying and journaling and just writing like, well, I guess I have to fall further first, you know, and it's so interesting. I literally, I have these pieces of paper. I found them the other day. It's so wild. I haven't looked at them for years. And they were like things I scribbled. I didn't see them as journaling. They were like notes to myself, like from my best self to me. And uh, like the stuff that's in there, it's like, remember that Sunday. And by that Sunday, I mean this day that was just, uh, just the peak of anxiety. It's like, don't make it this Sunday. Mm. And all over this paper, it's like alcohol makes you sad. Like, a fresh, clean life, substances that are the restriction, living without them is the freedom. Like I knew it, like I knew it all. <laughs> it's like so wild to look back at this stuff. And-, and the strangest part is that we almost know it all more when we're experiencing the pain when the, so because how I understand the brain to work is in the moments of craving, the human part of the brain, the brain that can write and articulate things like that is completely turned off. It flatlines. Like MRIs have studied and shown that in moments of craving, the part of our brain that can make decisions for the future goes offline. Uh, And I've heard this described in so many different ways. You know, I've heard it be like, I just showed up at the liquor store. Like I don't, I didn't consciously make that decision, you know, but then once that craving has been satiated and once we're like, really intoxicated and, and coming out of it. So we're not in those moments of craving. There is this reminder and this wisdom that we're trying to tell ourselves because we know we won't be able to access it as soon as that craving hits, as soon as the brain is affected by that craving, because in the craving, all the chemicals surrounding it, make it as though in your brain, not only is the part of your brain that is responsible for future decision-making turned off, but your brain has literally confused the substance that you've been using to self-medicate as key to your survival. Survival, sure. So the depth of that need in those moments, and then there's this other part of us that's trying to help us remember that actually, no, but we are human, we don't have to get into that need and it isn't our survival. And so both of those things exist inside of us. Right. And, and for me, I would do things like make myself videos, you know, like where I would, I'd, I'd be drunk and I'd be like, no, this isn't the answer. This was never the answer. This isn't actually doing what you hoped it would. I remember being on the other side of the craving thinking, okay, well, you know, like all I, all I can see is that need to pick up a drink. Right. And then being on, on the side of it where like, yeah, okay, that's gone. That craving is gone. And now here I am in the results of that, which is the drunkenness and being like, this isn't it. (laughs) Don't get confused again. This isn't it. Don't make this Sunday that Sunday. Like it's just so profound because Both of those things exist inside of us. And I don't believe that we can access that bigger voice when we are just using shame and blame. I think that that guilt and that pain that comes from it just further obscures the part of us that knows that this isn't it. That's so it. Like the most powerful tool I had in my arsenal before anything was uh, list writing. And I used to think of it, it's like time traveling. And my best self, like Sam was online, Sam would write this list. And sometimes I'd be hit with a craving. Um, 
and like I think of it in two ways when it was kind of like a bit of a wobble and I could feel it I, I would just read through my list and very often it would like just bring me back online mm. but, it, but then the somatic piece the bodywork piece and like this is why I love doing what I'm doing with Ellie um so much with with our podcast present and sober and everything is that we it's as you know and it's speaking to the mind piece and the body piece because sometimes mm-hmm. when when that's online like it ain't listening like right. you can try and talk that thing down but it's like it's not it doesn't speak the same language but coming right. into the body and actually doing the opposite in a strange way of of welcoming and you know surrendering not in the sense of it's just the opposite we don't we want to run from that feeling like who would who who would want who wouldn't want to that what's there's nothing more natural than that but actually the strength in surrender and letting it flow through us is that it moves through us with quicker and it finds our wisdom moves it through quicker and we come online quicker and we learn from experience right that they don't last forever that this isn't me and that the the scream is is like the death of this thing that's been doing a number on me <laughs> for, for the longest time so uh yeah that's yeah that just dis- that difference between what's going on in the mind what's going on in the body and what it feels like when we've been hijacked is is, is really interesting and it's a very important piece and you're so right compassion compassion is like when we beat ourselves up for that stuff we lock in the cycles right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We just make it way easier to hit the screw it button. We're like, bang, I'm going to hit it again. Yeah. But the moment we do the opposite, the moment we love ourselves and give ourselves compassion, then it it has nothing to fight back against. Or, and it just finds its way out, which is why I love this naked mind, Annie. It's why I'm here. And it's why I was called to do the training and everything for that very reason. <laughs> well, let's um, talk about that. I'd love to for you to talk about. Um, so you're a certified this naked mind coach, and you know you and Ellie have this brilliant podcast. Can you talk a little bit about your practice and where people can find you? Yeah, sure. So, so my so I have uh, the sober rebellion, which people I do like one on one and small group coaching in there because um, it is a rebellion. It's badass, and you know people can reach out to me um, on the website and stuff if they want um, that stuff. It's, it's sober rebellioncom um, but what I'm building with Ellie feels really special because we both met training with Jolene Park. Um, pri- um, Ellie had been through the training uh, with with you guys and I hadn't. And uh, I don't know, sometimes you meet someone and I can remember saying to my partner, Robin, after the first time I had a chat with Ellie, we're going to collab at some point. I don't know when, I don't know how, but uh, I just could sense it. And yeah, it's become such a wonderful connection. I'm so grateful for having met Ellie. And what she brings into the world and we've just been we're I don't know that's it we're like it's present and sober so it's a coming together of both of our things and we we both see that it's a, it's so much bigger than just stopping drinking it's just the beginning and actually I think we spoke um when you came on the podcast Annie, about like moving towards pleasure instead of moving away from pain and that the like that journey is is so wonderful and there's a leap of faith involved because we get to this point where we're like, I can't even imagine getting there, but that's not, those upgraded problems are absolutely awesome. Like they're the problems you want. Like, okay, so now I feel great. I've got all this time, money, energy. What am I going to do with it all? Like what a great problem to have. Um, And so working with people to that and bringing them into the moment and helping them see that at no level are you broken. Mm -hmm. Like no one needs fixing. 
it's it's just a case of seeing how it works and that you know you know at that point where we're always okay it's uh you know moving more and more into that that's exactly what we do so you know we've got the podcast present and sober podcast we've got our facebook group um that's a great place to come find us and by the time this airs we'll have a membership as well which we're building it as we go uh but like it's great we're doing a founding member launch and we're going to do like a coaching membership which is much more accessible lower cost for people to come into a bigger group coaching setting so yeah it's just so great Annie like I pinch myself like it's wild that I'm sat here having this chat with you because seven years ago this was like I couldn't have dreamt this up I love that all so much all right Sam so let me ask you the question that I ask at the end of all of these things which is if you were going to go back in time to that version of yourself who was just trying to accelerate it to save himself what what would you tell him about how life is like now? How would you encourage him? Wow, that's an amazing question. It's really funny. I kind of know that on some level, I wouldn't have been ready to hear a lot of what I was going to say. But I, I, I think I would have said, dude, this is incredible where you're going. Like you're doing re- a really good job, but, but it's okay. Like, but you don't know it all. Like just because you've read a few books and you reach out, talk to people because the, the transformation that you're going to have, there are people out there that can help you. You can do this a lot quicker. Like this hurts and this yo-yo that you're on, you don't have to keep doing this. Cause I was really scared that it was going to be like, get really bad at some point. And it did, you know, but I didn't know what really bad even meant. Yeah. So that's what I'd say. I'd give myself a hug, pat myself on the back, tell myself I'm doing all right. And, uh, yeah, I think that's what comes to me. <laughs> I love that so much. And I love just the presence of mind to know that, you know, maybe you wouldn't have been ready to hear it. And I think that's just important for people to understand too, is like, wherever you are, it's okay. You know, anything is okay. And just being a little more curious about all of this than you were yesterday and a little less judgmental than you were yesterday with a little bit more compassion, like that's all we can ask for. And I think those, those key ingredients can help move us to where I love how you say, Sam, come back online. Right. Because that's truly what it's about is like, and I would think about it as like, I'm just falling asleep and, and I wasn't actually falling asleep. That was just the only language I had for this idea of like me, the real me is going offline. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm losing my voice in this conversation and And yet I knew that at some level I was strong enough to take that voice back, but somehow it was going to have to be kickstarted by something. And so anyway, I love this conversation. I feel like we've explored just so many cool topics and I I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Same right back at you. I, uh, I'm so grateful. I really, really am. And, uh, I'm so passionate about this and, uh, yeah, just, just thanks for everything you do, Annie, because it's, um, it's a real privilege to be part of the energy behind it all. And uh, yeah, that's it really. Thanks. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Can you believe it's already February? What happened to January? It's gone already. And with it, a lot of people's New Year's resolutions. Maybe you started off the year wanting to drink less or nothing at all, but you find yourself still drinking. If that's you, you're not alone. 
but maybe now you're ready to take back control. The answer is actually not in restriction or deprivation, and you don't need more willpower. I'm here to tell you that you can break your patterns and habits and finally feel liberated from alcohol. You can return to a life where alcohol is small and irrelevant for you, a total non-issue where you can take it or leave it. The first step is joining us for a very special and completely free five-day virtual event starting February 7th. We'll be teaching you exactly how to take back control of your drinking, even if your New Year's resolutions haven't stopped. Save your spot today at controlalcohollive.com. We can't wait to see you there. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.